Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Trendlebed Tales. This is your host, Sarah Utoff, and tonight our guest is going to be Michelle Martin, who is the new uh, director at the Laura Ingalls Wilder site in Independence, Kansas. Now, before we uh, get going with that, we're going to try my new sound effect that I recorded for this week, and let's see how we do. Okay, that was a broom sweeping across the floor because we've got a little housekeeping to do. And uh, if you think that is clever, go ahead and tell me. And if you couldn't tell what it was and you're kind of dumb or think it's kind of dumb, let me know that too. I'm still working on what the best sound effect would be. If you want to call in and listen or if you want to make a comment or if you're just out and about and don't, can't stream, call in to 714-242-5253. That's 714-242-5253. Or toll-free, 1-877-633-9389. Toll-free, 877 339389. The chat room is open. We've got a couple guests in there so far, and uh, so that's another way you can participate. If you don't want to talk on air, you can make a comment or ask a question in there. And I wanted to be sure to tell you about our next upcoming episode, which is going to be Trundlebed Tales Episode 9. Take a bite out of history, biscuits. Now, one of the things that I want to do with this show, besides just talking about Laura exclusively, is to kind of talk about social history, the kind of things that uh, Laura would know. And this particular program is going to be based on the Laura Ingalls Wilder patch activity that I did for the Girl Scouts, there's several requirements that you have to do. One is to make a prairie meal, and we had the girls make biscuits. And so I'm going to give you the same kind of general rundown of history of biscuits and uh, how it connected with the things Laura and, and Ma would have done. And I think you'll find it interesting, whether you're a Laura fan or you're into food history. And that'll be on April 3rd, and that'll be at 6 and that's a Sunday. I'm still experimenting with times. We're seeing if maybe a weekend works better for people being participating live. And it's going to be a little earlier in the day because of that. So it's going to be at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Central Standard Time, 4 p.m. Mountain Central Time, and 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Though, of course, after just saying all those standards, I realize it's daylight savings time. But hopefully you'll figure out what I meant. And there's one more thing that I wanted to make sure that we got uh, through in the way of housekeeping before we uh, get on, uh, bring Michelle on. And that is I was going back and I listened to the Laura Ingalls Wilder birthday celebration episode. And from that, it sounded like the meal and everything that I talked about that was in Independence was in 1967. It was actually in 1964. And I just like to, if I catch an error going back, I like to make sure that people know about that. And with that, I think that's the end of housekeeping. Well, I enjoy it if nobody else does. And let's bring Michelle online. And you. Oh, hello, Michelle. Hi, Welcome. how are you, Sarah? Oh, pretty good. Welcome to Trendlebed Tales Radio. Thank you. We're, I'm really glad to be here. 
Well, this is the first time that I'm interviewing somebody that I didn't know already, so <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it will still work out all right. Oh, it'll it will be fine. <laughs> so, uh, Michelle, let's just start out. Uh, where you're, why don't we start out with you telling us about uh, what you do at Independence, what your job title is, and what kind of things that uh, that entails. Which, being a museum, is probably a little bit of everything. It is. When you work in history, and in particular when you work in a small museum setting, uh, you really become a jack or jill of all trades. I'm actually the historical director for Little House on the Prairie Museum in Independence, Kansas. And I have um, bachelor's and master's degrees in history, and I'm a former history professor. And I specialize in 19th century living history. So when visitors come to Independence to our site, more often than not, when they come in and say that they saw Ma in the cabin, that's me. They see me in the cabin dressed in all of my 1869 ladies' attire, complete with corset, the correct underpinnings and everything. And I am there living like Caroline would have lived in the cabin um, out there on the prairie from 1869 to 1871. Um, that's one of my main functions. Um, I give guided tours, I help out in the gift shop, um, I like to do research about our site, um, I do a lot of work uh, with outreach, trying to educate and inform people about our site. Because we're called Little House on the Prairie Museum, a lot of people come to our site expecting to see Walnut Grove. They think about the television show and they think Walnut Grove. And so we find we have a lot of education we have to do so people understand that we actually are the real place that Laura and Mary and baby Carrie and, and Ma and Pa, where they lived when they were in Kansas. So um, so I do a lot of education for our site and uh, I'm a tireless advocate for the site and really love our little, love our little, our little spot of heaven on the prairie there. So um, how, how many times a week are you on site? If somebody wanted to be sure that they got there when there was a living history program going on, when would be the best time for them to come? Well, what I do, uh, we have a Facebook page, and I know you're a follower of ours on Facebook, mm -hmm. and we're so happy. Um, if you find our, little, our Facebook page, Little House on the Prairie Museum, when I'm going to be there, I post a schedule about a week or two in advance of the days and times that I will be there in the cabin. Or if I bring other living historians in, for example, uh, we have an individual who is a fantastic mountain man. He does that real good uh, Kentucky, Tennessee mountain man impression. And so he comes in and uh, portrays Mr. Edwards quite often. And so he's fantastic. So I put when he's going to be there. Or if I'm going to have um, a school teacher in the one-room schoolhouse, we always make sure we post that on our Facebook page. And now that we are taking over our own website and we will have the ability to update our website literally, you know, daily, uh, we'll be able to post those schedules on our new website as well. There we go. We lost you for a minute. Hello? Michelle? All right. Yes. Okay. We lost you for a minute there. It, okay. We were starting at you now have your own website. Yes. Well, um, our new website will be www.littlehouseontheprairiemuseum.com, and it will be going live in April. And what's great, we will be able to update our website on a daily basis. So we will be able to go ahead and put our schedules out on a weekly basis if need be, so folks will know when we'll have living history folks there. Well, I think that'll be very helpful because it certainly does um, make a, visiting a museum very different if there's a living history program going on or if there isn't. It is, and I'm very fortunate because living in Kansas, I was in Fort Scott, and we have a unit of the National Park Service there, and I've gone through National Park Service 
uh, training and certification as a living history interpreter. And so what's great is I've learned so many things from the Park Service model. And in, in everything I do at Little House on the Prairie Museum, I try to bring some of the Park Service's um, ideas and, and um, concepts on outreach and education and creating a quality visitor experience. I've tried to bring that with me to the site this year. So that way it's going to be a new experience for folks. Um, We've got a lot of changes we're working on this year, and uh, we've probably bitten off more than we can chew in one year, but we're going to try really hard uh, to create an even more inviting and enriching and fulfilling experience for our visitors. Well, that is definitely a goal worth reaching for. Now, one of the changes that you had was that you had a second director, right? You kind of divided yes. up the position? Yes, we did. Um, it, for many years, um, probably many of our listeners um, remember Amy Finney, who was with us for 10 years. Um, in November, Amy, uh, due to health reasons, resigned. And um, we really looked at the job that she had, and it was so broad in its scope we decided it was really good to divide things up. And so we have our uh, site director, and our new site director is Liz Smith-Moore. Liz was born and raised in Independence, Kansas. She moved away, uh, went to K-State, uh, went away and left Kansas and has had a very successful career working for nonprofit organizations, working in fundraising for them and outreach and working on marketing for um, these kinds of organizations, and she has come home uh, to be back in Independence, Kansas, and was looking for something to do that would be enriching and fulfilling, and when we interviewed her, she said, it's not the salary that interests me, it's the job, and it's the impact I can have. And so we knew right then we had the right person, and so she actually starts with us Friday, and we're going to go through a week of training and getting her used to everything. And April 1st, when we open to the public, she will be um, the individual they see in the gift shop, and she'll be the person answering the phone most of the time, and she'll be helping set up, you know, when, when schools want to have tours, Liz will be the person they meet, and she can take them out, and then if Ma is there, they can meet Ma in the cabin, and so we've really split the job up in two, and we think it's going to make it a lot easier um, and alleviate the potential for burnout because it's very, very easy. Um, working in a small museum setting when you have to do everything, it's very easy to get burned out quickly. So uh, we think splitting the job up into two areas will help alleviate a lot of that. Well, it sounds like a really good plan, and that is certainly true. A museum can absorb your entire life if you let it, because there's always more stuff that needs to be done. Now, yeah. uh, now you mentioned, um, I think probably the thing that, that made the news about your site the most in the last year or so was the lawsuit. And I know you can't legally discuss very much about it, but the upshot was you now have a new name. So do you want to just tell us? Yeah. you Run well, through the way um, to get it. Yes. Well, um, as many of your listeners know, um, about two years ago, a lawsuit was brought against us by the producers of the television show. And we had been using the name Little House on the Prairie. We had registered the legal trademarks to not only use the name for our historic site, because we are the true setting of the book, Little House on the Prairie, and we also had it reg the registered trademark to sell items in the gift shop that also carried that or in our gift shop that carried that name. And we were taken to court by the producers of the TV show over the rights for the name Little House on the Prairie and the trademark. Um, a settlement was reached this past December, and after it was all filed and said and done, we needed to make a name change. And we are now Little House on the Prairie Museum Incorporated. We are still a registered legal nonprofit organization. Our mission is still the same, to instill in all of our visitors a love of reading, of reading Laura's books, 
and of learning about and um, absorbing and really having a, an appreciation for the time period in which she lived. And also we love to educate people also about Kansas in the time period Laura lived there. And so our mission is still the same. Our name is just a little different. Aside from that, um, any other aspects of the lawsuit uh, we legally um, are bound to not discuss. And so uh, what we what we like to tell people is that, yes, the lawsuit, it was a very emotionally heart-wrenching and difficult thing for us for two years. It was very stressful on all of us. But we have survived. We have reemerged. Um, the name Little House on the Prairie Museum really does accurately fit what we do there. We are an outdoor museum. We're a museum that allows you to walk the prairie and experience it like Laura did as a young child, to try to see it through her eyes, and then to walk into the little one-room cabin and think, what would it have been like to be in this little cabin and hear the wolves howling outdoors, or to be there when the winter when the winter winds were blowing? Um, you know, we have our other buildings to help you experience 19th century life. And so we have reemerged. We feel we are going to be a better and stronger museum because of this. And we have chosen to take something that was very negative uh, and turn it into a positive. We look at this as a fresh new beginning and a new, um, a new era for our historic site. And we will make the best of this and rise above it and continue to do what we've always done, and that is share Laura's message with the people. Well, thank you. I'm sure that we all appreciate that because if there's anything that a Laura fan loves to do, it's to walk where Laura walked. And that's one thing that I always uh, tell people, that it's really amazing at Independence, considering that DeGarth Williams never actually found the correct site, how much it does look like the the description and even the drawings from the books. And yes, it, it does. So. It does. And, you know, um, we're really right now, actually um, starting last week and all of this week so far, um, we've been going through a top-to-bottom, really um, a, literally a cleaning out. Um, for any of your listeners who have been there within the last two or three years, um, if they come back, they will find that the gift shop is completely, it's cleaned, it's reorganized. Um, they will find that the cabin is cleaned and reorganized and invigorated. Today, I like to say I was deck-scrubbing history. We were literally deck scrubbing the wooden floors of the post office because they hadn't been cleaned in so long. And so we were in the little 19th century post office scrubbing every nook and cranny to get it ready so people can come in and experience it. And then we moved on to the schoolhouse. And so we're, you know, we're cleaning, we're painting, we're reorganizing so our visitors will come and have a, a really wonderful experience with us. And so we're we're looking forward to opening on April 1st. I might actually get some sleep then. Um, I've been there anywhere from 10 to 12 hours a day um, cleaning and repairing and fixing and reorganizing and setting up. And so we we really are, we're very, very, very excited about our new, our new future ahead of us. Uh, so... How I've been advertising this this week is that we're that you're going to declare your independence, Kansas. That is so. I think yes, we we are we are very much so you know declaring our independence. Um, you know the lawsuit is behind us. Um, you know we are looking forward to having a wonderful year um, with opening day April first and um, on um, Saturday April twenty third, the day before Easter. We're going to have a spring celebration on the prairie. We're looking at doing a ribbon cutting because we have our new name. We're looking at doing a ribbon cutting ceremony to kind of welcome our new director, our site director, Liz, and to go ahead and kind of rechristen the site um, and ha you know have folks come in and be able to see things. Um, we'll have some living history programs going on. We'll have some activities for kids. And since it is right before Easter, 
Um, we will go ahead and do a little Easter egg hunt. Uh, the kids can get little 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 house prizes and different things. And we just want to open the doors up, and we just want to make sure that um, everybody comes out that day in the spring and enjoys a good afternoon on the prairie, gets to see all of the hard work we've been putting in, and is really a kickoff for the good new year. So let's just run through quick. If somebody wants to get a hold of you now, uh, you have a name. Is your phone number and address still the same? Our phone number and our address are still the same. Uh, they okay. can, you know, call us um, at, at the information they have previously. We are obviously still located in the same place. Um, all of our road signs will stay the same. Uh, the one thing that was exempt from the lawsuit, we did not have to change our signs on the highway because those would be extremely expensive but very difficult to change. Um, they, people can still write to us at P.O. Box 110 in Independence, Kansas. 67301. They can still call us at area code 620-289-4238. And they can still visit us just, you know, 12, 12 to 13 miles southwest of Independence off of Highway 75. Okay. And you have a new address for your website, which is? LittleHouseOnThePrairieMuseum.com, and it will go live um, after April 1st when we open. And your Twitter handle, if they want to find you that way. Oh, my goodness. You would ask me that. I set up the account, but can I remember it? I can actually pull up my Twitter feed here really quick. Um, I believe we are LHOPMuseum is our handle at Twitter. Let me log in real quick and take a look. Uh-huh. I have some. I have Twitter feeds. I have several Twitter feeds that I maintain mm-hmm. for my for my work, and so I can never remember all of them because there are so many of them in my head running around there. Yes, we are L Hop L H O T P Museum Little House on the Prairie. So L H O T P Museum is our yep. Twitter handle. Okay, great. So if anybody wants to start following you, they can find you that way. And you're yes. on Facebook under Little House in, on the Prairie Museum, too, I believe, right? Yes, we are. We are Little House on the Prairie Museum on Facebook. And if you were in a part of the country that did not get a significant amount of snow this year and you'd like to see what snow looks like, uh, we put out a photo album. I was out in the winter uh, wading through the, wa- the waist-deep snowdrifts, taking pictures of the little cabin out on the prairie, the windswept prairie with the nice high snowdrifts. So, um, and we've got a lot of photographs out there um, for folks to take a look at. And, of course, we'll put announcements about events and upcoming things. And uh, we've been posting a few pictures here and there of the progress we've been making, uh, getting things ready to open for the new season. Well, we always love to see off-season pictures of sites when we most of us don't get to go see. So I've really appreciated seeing those winter shots. And you just recently put a picture of the uh, new, newly reorganized gift shop up. And before yeah. we go, yeah, before we go on, I want to remind everybody: if you want to call in and have a question for Michelle, the number here is seven one four two four two five two five three. That's 714-242-5253. And the other option is to call in toll-free, 1-877-633-9389. And you can also do a shout-out in the uh, chat room that's live right now. In fact, uh, Lori O.H. has posted a uh, link to some shots that she took of Independence. She said it was her last home site to cross off the list when she was visiting. And it was actually my second for the last. It's uh, one of just two home sites that I've only been to once. And uh, I hope hope to get back sometime soon here, but I was there in 99, and that was certainly your signage that you mentioned just a little bit ago was certainly, I think, one of the standout features of your site 
If anybody else has uh, been struggling to find a Little House Museum or site, the signage in Independence was just excellent. And I made my mother stop so she could take a picture of me in front of every one of them. Uh, and uh, there's actually a picture, one of those pictures on my blog right now at Trendlebed Tales, if anybody really wants to see it. But uh, great signage, and I really appreciate that. Having struggled looking for museums, not just Laura museums, but other museums too, it's it's great yes. to have signage. And it, and it is. And because we're out in the country, I mean, you know, I always tell people do not rely on your GPS because it's not always accurate. We get lots of people that um, try to follow their GPS and get completely lost, and we always tell them, well, if you would follow our signs, you would get here a lot quicker than with your GPS. And we've had people say to us, yeah, you're right. We never should have followed the GPS. And um, But it is. Our, that is one thing we are very blessed. Our signage is very large. It's very recognizable. It's real easy for folks to see, and so we've been. We were very fortunate um, in the course of the lawsuit that we were able to go ahead and keep the signage and not have to take it down and redo. It, it's extremely expensive to have to redo signage, uh, and you don't realize that until you start pricing it, and it can run into the thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And so, oh, yeah, I'm we, very we're sure. Very fortunate. We're very fortunate in that respect. Well, let's see. And then when I when we got there, you've made a lot of improvements since then. For instance, I think you now have a parking lot, don't you? Well, we have an area. Um, if you, regardless of which direction you co um, come to the site from, the east or west, we do have an area of visitor parking. Uh, it literally is a, a widened and expanded shoulder of the road on one side, and we've got um, some wooden fencing. And the signs that read visitor parking, and you can pull right off the road and park right in front. Uh, you can walk through our little gate, and then you can begin to tour the grounds. Um, and we also, for folks who are um, handicapped or have difficulty moving around, we have um, a large silver gate they can pull in through there and pull up a little closer to the farmhouse and get a little closer to the site if they have issues with mobility. Um, it's, it's real difficult when you have a site like ours. Um, our site, you know, our, our replica cabin was built in 1977, and a lot of the buildings were moved there in 1976 and 77. And at, the, at that time, uh, buildings were not adapted for ADA compliance, and, and historic structures are very difficult to do that with. And so we do try to help. Um, those visitors who come to visit us that have um, any kinds of um, mobility issues, we try to help them as much as possible to get around and see everything and have a good experience. Um, we also have um, some very nice um, visitor restrooms that are in a cute little stone building um, out behind the house. Um, those were um, a, a, in addition within the last 10 years. Yes. Uh, this no. year we... Yes, this year we had to replumb all of them. Our winter was so harsh. I kept thinking about the long winter because our winter was so harsh here this year. Even though we winterized, all of our pipes burst at Little House on the Prairie Museum. Oh, that's too bad. We lost, yes, we lost our plumbing in the farmhouse, which is where we have our employee bathroom. And then we had um, all of our pipes in our outdoor guest restrooms burst. So we had to have the pretty rock walls inside the restrooms, out our guest restrooms, they had, the rock wall had to be torn out, and we had to go ahead and have all new plumbing put in, needed, had, needed to have them insulated properly and completely redone. And then um, instead of putting a rock wall in, they put barn wood. They created a barn wood wall. And it looks fantastic. It's rustic. It's cute, it's charming, and we were so happy. Um, our little outhouse that dates to the 1930s and was built by the Civilian Conservation Corps behind the house, our little outhouse got a new roof. Um, also, for folks who may have been there last year early in the season, everybody knows also our big red barn at the site that dates to the 1920s, and our big red barn got a new roof. And for folks who are familiar with our site, 
uh, they know that our site is owned by um, Bill Curtis, the broadcast journalist, and his sister, Senator Jean Curtis Schodorf. Uh, the property had belonged to um, Bill and Jean's parents, and when they passed on, they inherited the property. And um, almost two, it'll be two years ago this coming July, uh, Mr. Curtis' son, Scott, passed away very unexpectedly. And when people asked what could they do to go ahead and memorialize Scott, we had all said that um, contributions should be made to Little House on the Prairie in his memory. And that we were able, we, nice. received, we received enough donations, Sarah, that we could redo the entire barn roof. That's how oh, wow. sweet and kind and generous people were. But also we had people who were just Little House fans that would write and say, we heard about Mr. I, you know, I, I don't really know Mr. Curtis or his son, but I'm a big fan of Little House. You know, we we saw that his son passed away. Here's a here's a small donation in his memory to support Little House. I mean, donations came from all over the country, and it was so so heartwarming for the family, um, for everyone connected with Little House on the Prairie Museum. It was so heartwarming, and so we were able to go ahead and completely redo the barn roof which needed a lot of repair. And um, so now we're going to continue moving on with more of the barn restoration. Uh, we like to use the barn for children's programs. If, we need a, if we're going to do a children's program and need a lot of room, we like to take kids in the barn and they get to see what a great old barn looks like. And we do crafts and activities and different things with kids in the barn. And so um, we really want to turn it into a little bit of a learning center for kids. And so... We were very, very pleased. Um, so we have been, even though we've had the difficulty with the lawsuit and even though that was adversity, uh, we stayed true to Laura's principles. And we always, through the course of that lawsuit, always kept saying, we have got to take the high road. We have got to, we have got to stand up and be guardians of Laura's principles. We've got to always keep that in mind in, in the way we conduct ourselves and handle ourselves. And if that happens, everything will work out for the best. And it has. It really has for us. And so, um, and we think that uh, that outpouring of love that people showed when Mr. Curtis's son passed away and the generosity they showed to the site, you know, is just proof of how wonderful Laura's message is and the, con you know, the principles of family and hard work and honesty and caring for one another. And so we really... Um, Really, with, with redoing the barn roof last year and kind of moving, getting through the lawsuit and coming through the long, hard winter we've had and coming into spring, we're just really energized and really positive uh, looking toward the future. So we're really thrilled to be opening next week finally. Well, it sounds like it's just a wonderful thing, and, and uh, it's just fantastic that people were so generous. Now, I'm going to ask you a couple questions about the bar sure. then. Cause, uh, so when you did the roof, is it wood shingle, asphalt shingle, or metal? It is wood. It is cedar-shaped shingles on the roof. Oh, that is so excellent. Yes, and... It's beautiful. Uh, when we first got the roof done, of course, the, the shingles um, were very bright because they're, so, they're freshly cut and they're new. And over the months, they've aged and they've started to change color like they would naturally. And so they're starting to really look good and have character to them. And we're now going to be finishing some barn restoration this summer. So that's one thing I, I like to encourage folks, you know, really take a look around when you're, when you're visiting us because you never know. You may see some folks, you know, you may see folks doing a painting project or you may look over to the barn and you may see folks working and what they're really doing is helping us preserve and share and continue transmitting history because, you know, when Charles and Caroline lived there, they were there from 1869 to 1871 and they left. And that site, you know, someone else came in and settled on it later and eventually our farmhouse that people see, our little white farmhouse was built in the 1880s. And it became a place where a family lived, just like Laura did with Mary and Carrie and her folks. And, you know, this land has been, you know, passed down to different families through the generations. And so we, we also, we, not only do we 
try to keep the history of Laura and her family alive, but we also like to tell folks about the history of our site and how it went from being a family farm to being researched and then uh, discovered to be the historic site where the family lived and how it really changed the trajectory of this just little simple, humble Kansas farmstead into something that attracts visitors not only from all over the country, all over the world. I had visitors from Sweden yesterday, and we were we were scrubbing floors and painting, and they came up and they saw the closed sign, and so I stepped outside to chat with them, and uh, they poked their heads in and saw we were working, and um, I went ahead and opened up, you know, some doors for them, and, uh, you know, let them look around, and when they left, I locked things up so we could get back to work, and uh, the gentleman said, in Sweden growing up, we had two TV channels, and one of them showed Little House on the Prairie all the time. And he said, I've always wondered what the real Little House on the Prairie looked like, and now I know. And so, um, you know, there's just something really special about that little site and the way it draws people in, and it connects people across generations, across oceans, and so we're just really, we're so thankful for what we have at our lovely little site. Okay. Now let's uh, get back a little bit on exactly what to see. So we came up to the farmhouse. Now when I was there, there were still people living in it, but that's your gift shop now, right? And that's the building that's on the, the far right as uh, if you're standing on the road facing yes. it, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. And then behind that is Pa's Hand Dug Well. Yes. And uh, Oz Hand Dug Well is behind, and we do have signage now that states it is the Hand Dug Well. And that's something that really impresses people because that's uh, a real connection with something that Pa did on the site, and it also helped in the identification of the property. So uh, we always like to think about that. And then there's the barn behind, and then there's a row of trees as a windbreak. And I always I always laugh about that because I say I try and take a picture of the log cabin in Pepin in the big woods and there's nothing but open country all around and I try and take a picture of the house in Independence and there's the row of trees right there. Yes. It's, it's yes, very I ironic. <laughs> it it is. And you know, I've learned if you take it from there's one little corner if you stand at and get your picture, you don't get the trees behind. And so if you get the sun behind you and get the right angle, you can get that little little house on the prairie look and feel without that row of trees behind you. But I personally, if it were my personal choice, I'd vote for taking them all down because then it would look more historic and accurate, but um, you know, cutting down trees is is a tough call because it's so windy and it does help provide that wind break and so um maybe some maybe someday we'll consider getting rid of those trees <laughs> well, let's see so then we've got the rebuilt uh replica cabin now that one was done by volunteers in seventy seven right yes, mhm. And so uh, at, it's mostly done from local wood. The Independence Pride Committee did it. And uh, at the time, they found a few stones and felt they were pretty sure they'd found the original foundation, which yes, was interesting. Actually, those, yeah, those are actually out in the yard um, in front of the farmhouse. There are some stones that are could could either be the foundation stones from the cabin or... Um, if you remember, um, the Ingalls had, you know, their, they had Pet and Patty, and they needed to have a place for their animals. And, it, you know, it's also believed that there may have been um, some foundation stones for a small little um, barn or shelter for the animals. And so we're not quite sure if the foundation stones we have found are cabin or, or animal shelter or barn, but we have found what we believe to be foundation stones out there and um of course, you know the grass has now kind of grown over them, and um, one of the things we were we would like to do sometime in the next few years is invite um, either University of Kansas or Kansas State University. They're always looking for archaeology field school projects, 
And so we've often thought it would be really fun to have them go ahead and do um, an archaeological field school in the front yard in front of the farmhouse to see what they find, um, to see how far back they can get and to see if they can find anything that would date to uh, Charles and Caroline's time there on the prairie with the girls. And so um, that's something in the future we'd love to do. Well, I think that would be just great. And the um, site at Malone Burke uh, in New York had two summers. They had an archaeology team coming out, and it it just is very impressive to do that. So I I hope that's something that can happen sometime. And um, so we have the replica cabin, which is still the same one from 77, right? Yes, it is. Pepin had to replace theirs, so hopefully Well, yeah, unfortunately, we're getting to the point, I think if we get another 10 years out of our cabin, we'll be doing really well. Um, the wind blows incessantly on the Kansas prairie, and it's very the conditions can be pretty harsh. And you know, our little cabin, every spring I go out and mix up mortar and tuck point it with mortar by hand and try to keep patching her and shoring her up for another season. And so... Um, but I'd say probably in another 10 years, we're going to have to look at at least at doing some major uh, work on the cabin to make her better. So, But she's she's hanging in there tough. Well, I, I think it's nice to, to have the, the first one there. But uh, it's certainly a lot of cabins were not buildings designed to last forever, particularly with cement mortar. It can be awful hard on them. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's, it is. So... Then we have the the replica house. Then next to that is the um, Wayside Post Office, right? Yes, the, our little our little post office that today, just today, was thoroughly scrubbed and cleaned. Um, now the when, floors are wonderful. <laughs> when I was there, that was the gift shop. There was a little card table and that was it so it's certainly that is definitely one area you've majorly improved since i was there last yeah. uh and why don't you explain to people uh if they haven't been there they what wayside was what that means for the wayside okay post well sure the wayside post post office actually came from the the farming and ranching community of wayside kansas um if you're traveling on highway 75 um it is on the west side of the highway across the railroad tracks, and the community of Wayside developed during the 19th century. And with the railroad coming through there, um, it became a town where people um, were raising cattle and crops, but also it figured very prominently in oil and gas development in Kansas. And there was a wonderful community there. And in 19 by by the 1970s, uh, the population had started to dwindle down, and it had dwindled down enough that the United States Post Office uh, was going to be shut down there. And they had this wonderful little post office that had been built in the 1890s, and it's this beautiful little post office with a wonderful wooden front, and it has beautiful old-fashioned um, post office little uh, doors on each of the mailboxes, with the two-letter combinations. And, you know, we still have people who lived or grew up in Wayside and used that post office. They can remember their mailbox number. They will walk in. They will dial their combination and open their mailbox. They still work. Hmm. Um, And it's just it's wonderful. And so we actually have the whole interior of the post office, the mailboxes. We've got the, the postmaster's window the money order window that you would step up to to buy money orders. And we also have um, a, a desk that was in the, post, in the post office that was a sorting desk. And what I discovered today, just today, as I was cleaning with a toothbrush and getting areas, nooks and crannies clean, on the uh, sorting, what I thought were sorting uh, trays uh, in, in, the, in the desk, I looked and there were names and box numbers. And what had happened in Wayside at one time in its history, there they had too many people and not enough post office boxes, so they turned the sorting desk into extra mailbox space. 
huh. because we found people's names and numbers on there. Wow, that's kind of cool that they've just discovered that. See, that's what happens when you clean. You know, they actually were they were cleaning the couch in Mansfield a couple years ago, and they found a letter from Carrie that had gotten worked into the cushions of the couch. So it, <laughs> it pays to clean. Uh, uh, then, let's see, so we've done the school, and then the last building is the Sunnyside School, right? Yes, which we also cleaned tonight. <laughs> Can well, you tell we've been spring cleaning? Yes, well, it, that's the time of year for it. There's Museums take a lot of cleaning. That was, In fact, that used to be... One of my jobs when I worked for Usher's Ferry was I was on the cleaning crew. So once a week, um, my brother and I would clean one building thoroughly because we we actually clean knew how to clean, and then the rest of the crew would clean all the other ones, which I think consisted of maybe walking through with the broom quickly. Um, but it's it, it it takes a long time to clean, and there's a lot of nooks and can- crannies in a one room school. I certainly know that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Th- there's a reason, though, you have this particular school there, right? It's not a Laura yeah. reason, but it's a reason. No, and well, actually, there there is a there is a Laura reason, and we like to tie the schoolhouse to Laura by by telling children this is a one room school, and when Laura was a, when Laura went to school, that's what people went to. They went to one room schools when they lived in the country. And you had everything from the oldest students down to the youngest. And this is where everybody went to school. And then, of course, Laura later on teaches. But Caroline also taught one-room school for a year before she married um, Charles. And so, you know, education and one-room schools figured prominently in both of their lives. But um, Mrs. Horton, um, the mother of Mr. Curtis, Bill Curtis, and Senator Jean Curtis Shodorf, her mother taught in that one-room schoolhouse. Lillian Horton taught one-room school in the Sunnyside schoolhouse. And when the schoolhouse was no longer going to be used, it had been a schoolhouse and it had been a church and it had been a community meeting place. Um, In the 1970s, talk was that the the schoolhouse would be torn down. And Mr. and Mrs. Curtis, um, who owned the property at the time, just felt so strongly that it needed to be preserved not only for their family because of the connection, but for the community in general, that it was something really important and it was something you just didn't tear down. You know, it was built in 1872 and it was a wonderful one-room schoolhouse from the 19th century. And so they purchased it and had it brought to the site. And we love our one-room schoolhouse. Um, We have teachers that bring students there and they like to sit in the desks and sometimes we have teachers that actually do lessons um, that would be from the time period and bring their students in and the kids get to experience it. So they can say, I sat in a one-room school desk. Laura would have sat in a one-room school desk when she went to school. And so they make that connection over time, which is so important to getting them to love our history. Now, I'll tell you one other thing about one-room schools and Laura, if you're going to connect it that way. Uh, Grace, Laura's youngest sister, the one born in Iowa, uh, was also a one-room school teacher. In fact, she went to normal school at Redfield College and taught for a number of years, longer than than both Laura and Mon. I don't have the exact number, but I think it was off the top of my head, but I think it was longer than Laura and Ma combined. So she can tie that in, too, that that was was her job. And speaking of grace, uh, one thing that they've really tried to kind of make a move for at the the Iowa site in Baroque, because that was where Grace was born, they like to to say a little, um, try and put some of the focus on their um, tours on, on Grace, since Carrie was born in Kansas, have you done uh, anything or planned anything along those lines? You know, to this point in time, um, aside from explaining to folks that uh, baby Carrie was born there and we show folks we actually have a copy of the original census record from 1872 
from 1870 where she's enumerated there with the rest of the family. Um, we really, um, not a lot has been done uh, um, to play up that aspect of baby Carrie having been born there. But as we move forward with our new site director and with me on board on a, you know, on a, on a larger scale um, in the historical side, we definitely want to look into um, playing up uh, Carrie's connection. And so uh, I think we're going to be looking into, you know, Carrie and her life. So we're able to go ahead and um, connect her to the site and to explain to our visitors, um, you know, more about Carrie and her life later on and the fact that it all got started right there in Kansas on the prairie. Uh, and I had another question that I thought of here as we were going through stuff. How uh, many visitors about a year do you think you get there on average? You know, it's we uh, have sign-in sheets, and we love folks to sign in. Um, and during our off-season, believe it or not, we get folks that visit all the time, too, because they, they're very generous and leave money in the donation box in the winter even. I would say we average probably – Anywhere from uh, twenty-five to thirty thousand visitors a year. Well, that's a decent number. That's that's good to hear. A lot of people, I think, um, divide the routes into doing the northern sites and the southern sites. So, do you find a lot of people have just come from Mansfield or are headed to Mansfield in Missouri? Yes, we do. Yes, we do actually, and. Um, we get lots of folks who have said, oh, well, we were just in Mansfield yesterday or the day before yesterday, or we're stopping here and then we're going to Mansfield in a few days. We get lots of folks that do that. And then, of course, there are many of the organized uh, tour companies that do little house tours of different kinds. And um, they quite often will stop in Mansfield first and then come on to visit us in Kansas, and then they go on to other Laura home sites. Well, I, I always think it's interesting how people do that. I just, I um, someday I'm going to do the Grand Circle route myself, but I haven't done it yet. But I think it's it's interesting to would be interesting to do all of them uh, right in a row. Uh, and well, and I'm looking forward to going to Mansfield. I when I first moved to Kansas from Michigan in 1997, um, I did some historical sightseeing. And I did go down to Wilson's Creek Battlefield and then went over to Mansfield and visited there. But it's been a long time ago. And so I'm looking forward to going back. And we're actually going to plan a Sunday trip for myself and Liz, our new site director, and Mary Curtis, our treasurer. We're going to take a girl's day on a Sunday, and we're going to make the drive to Mansfield and go visit and um you know, and really kind of soak up the atmosphere there and have a girl's a girl's Laura day and uh, go off to Missouri. And um, I'm really, I would really like to go do, um, I'd like to go to Walnut Grove. I'd like to go to, I would love to go to DeSmet and Baroque. And I would love to go do some of, um, some of the sites this summer if I can myself. So um, I'm hoping I'll be on the Laura Trail too. Well, it's going to be the 40th anniversary of the pageant in DeSmet, and I hear they have a wonderful speaker coming for the third weekend, so uh, you may want to, to try and plan for that. Uh, anyway, I will get back to, to me later, but let's we've got about <laughs> five minutes left, and uh, I wanted to just uh, kind of clarify to make sure that people uh, knew where we were exactly talking about. So, um a lot of times when I'm doing programs, I get people who confuse Independence, Kansas with Independence, Missouri. Yes, but, they do. <laughs> but that is totally wrong. <laughs> uh, I, I always like to tell people that, that Independence, Kansas is so close to Oklahoma that you see Will Rogers Expressway signs. So. <laughs> yep, we're we're pretty we're pretty darn close to Oklahoma down there. I actually I actually live and work in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, which is straight down Highway 75. And actually, I have an interesting Doc Tan connection. Doctor Tan, who of course doctored the girls uh, when they had fever and ague, Doctor Tan used to come to Bartlesville and doctor when it was still the Indian Territory, and he would go back and forth between where he lived in Kansas, not far from the Ingalls, 
and he would come down to Indian Territory, and he would doctor and go back and forth and did so um, for his entire doctoring career. So we even have some connections to the Little House story down here in Oklahoma. So, um, And, of course, the Osage, who were there on the prairie later, were removed to this part of Oklahoma. So it's really interesting, a lot of these cross-border connections between Kansas and Oklahoma and in particular with individuals connected to the to the Little House story. So we're it's really been kind of fun researching a lot of this out. And uh Dr. Tan's grave is actually in Independence and so that's another thing for sure for people to uh look for when they make the trip. And uh actually Independence for such a small town had lots of people famous from it. I mean, besides Laura living there and uh, Tom Mix of the movie silent movie team lived there. There was uh, William uh, Eng, who is the Pulitzer Prize winning playwright. Bill Curtis, of course. Vivian Vance from I Love Lucy. Uh, the first monkey in space. Uh, Martin Johnson, yeah. wor- world explorer. Harry Sinclair, founder of Sinclair Oil. And Alf Landon, the famous 1936 yeah. presidential candidate. So, Independence, uh, and on top of all that, at one time, Independence had more millionaires per square mile than any other town in the country. So it's it's quite a place, and I think it's well worth a visit. And we didn't um, have as much time as I'd hoped to to talk a little bit about the history, but I think we did a good job convincing everybody to come. And do you want to tell them again when your opening day is? Sure. We open to we open the doors to the public Friday, April first. Our hours are Monday through Saturday, ten to five. Sundays, one to five. You can find us on Facebook at Little Under Little House on the Prairie Museum. Our website will go active right around or after April first, and it'll be littlehouseontheprairiemuseum.com. They can find us on Twitter, of course. L H O P T Museum is our handle on Twitter. And we love to talk to our fans. They can call us at area code 620-289-4238. And we hope, we hope everybody comes out to visit us in Independence, Kansas this summer. Well, I hope so, too. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, put you back into the um, uh green room for just a couple minutes here as we finish it up so thank you very much michelle i appreciate it well thank you so much for having us on we really appreciate it yeah and i think that uh, we'll have to do this again sometime so uh, just as we are finishing up here with the last couple things i want to remind everybody again that uh, this is episode eight of Trundle Bed Tales Radio, and if you haven't yet heard the rest of them, you can stream them live from uh, the Blog Talk Radio site. You can download them on iTunes. And the next episode coming up, episode nine, is going to be called Take a Bite Out of History Biscuits. And uh, we'll hopefully be doing more Take a Bite Out of History episodes as we go on. And it's going to be on Sunday, April 3rd at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Mountain Time, and 3 p.m. Pacific Time. And if you're on the go, you can always call us instead at at 714-242-242. Five two five three. That's seven one four two four two five two five three, or toll free one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine. And I don't have the date yet for the next episode, but the one after. The one after that is going to be about um, talking about uh, with some of the people from DeSmet. So I hope that that will be a, a good one and that we'll catch you back for that one. And uh, I just want to remind everybody that you can also find, if you enjoyed this, you can find Trundlebed Tales, uh, the website at trundlebedtales.com, the blog. Trundlebedtales.wordpress.com. 
You can find me on Twitter under Trendlebed Tales and YouTube under Trendlebed Tales. And I just uploaded a new video this week of our bottle cast, so you don't want to miss that. And also on Facebook under Sarah Utoff, but but be sure to tell me uh, that that's that you're a Laura fan and that's why you want to be a friend, so I know uh, when it goes to approve you. And uh, then that's about it. So thank you for tuning in, and uh, I hope you enjoyed Trendlebed Tales Radio. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.